I think I'm excited to preach this morning. <laughs> I thought that was the last slide, and it wasn't. Oh, if you would, this morning, I'd like you to take your Bibles and turn to Ephesians chapter 1, and we're going to look at verses 3 through 6. Ephesians chapter 1 and verses 3 through 6. If you recall, three weeks ago, we looked at an introduction to the book of Ephesians, which we will be in for all year, the year of 2018. So I introduced the book, and then the second week of January, we had the Gideons International, and then last week we had Sanctity of Human Life Sunday, and so now we are going to really be able to dig into the book of Ephesians, and dig in we will with a passage that is glorious and wonderful, but sometimes awkward and difficult for some Christians. The Apostle Paul says this, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. In love, in love he predestined us for adoption to himself as sons, through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace with which he has blessed us in the beloved. Well, our first point this morning is blessed in Christ. Paul says, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. The word blessed here is actually a Greek word from where we get our English word eulogy. A eulogy means to commend, to say kindness about someone else. And here it is used in the ultimate sense of giving praise and worship and glory to God. So appreciated Davy's prayer this morning. Uh, he was right on target in saying that everything we're going to look at should elicit from us deep emotional praise unto God and blessed be his name. It is really talking here about the goodness of God. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Praise be to God for his indescribable goodness. In fact, when we drop down to verse 6, it says, To the praise of his glorious grace, his unmerited kindness and favor toward us. Praise him for his glorious grace with which he has blessed us in the beloved. The beloved referring to Jesus Christ himself. So, Paul opens and closes this little section with praise, 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 because that is what it is about. Everything here is meant to bring from you every part of the emotions that God has created you with. Paul is going to take us. He's going to take us to the very throne room of God to show us the greatness and the vastness of the blessings and treasures that belong to those who are in Christ Jesus, not only in this passage, but all of chapter 1, even really all of chapters 1 through 3. So this is an important introduction into what we are about to study in the weeks and months to come of how good our God is to us. Well, verse 3 tells us that God the Father has blessed us in Christ. 
with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. Doesn't get much better than that. God has blessed us, that's us, in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. And every spiritual blessing means every spiritual blessing. God is the source of all blessing. God is the source of all good things. Every good and perfect gift, James tells us, comes down from the Father above. Everything we have, we have that is good, we have from God. And the us in this verse is clearly a reference in the context to those who are in Christ to us as believers. Now, the word spiritual here is important. Sometimes we look at a verse like this and we say, yes, he's blessed us with spiritual blessings. So that must mean our salvation, our forgiveness, our adoption, our redemption, and all of those things taught, especially in the New Testament. It does refer to that, but it doesn't just refer to that. Spiritual here is not the type of blessing, but is the source of the blessing. Let me say that again. Spiritual here is not a reference to the type of the blessing, but to the source of the blessing. This refers to material blessings and immaterial blessings. So this refers to everything we have, even all of our material blessings. God has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. It could be translated, he has blessed us in Christ with every God-given blessing in the heavenly places. So everything in the realm of God's reign that belongs to him, he has given to us as blessings to those who are in Christ. John MacArthur writes this, these abundant, unlimited blessings from God are in the heavenly places. More than heaven itself is included. The heavenly places encompass the entire supernatural realm of God, his complete domain, the full extent of his divine operation. So it isn't just a specific reference to heaven as a place, but to all of the universe and all that God rules and reigns over, from there he has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing. John Piper succinctly puts it this way, every possible benefit in heavenly places that God has to give is yours in Christ. Isn't that great? Every possible benefit in the heavenly places that God has to give is yours in Christ. And so it's going to take us weeks and months to unpack what Paul says these blessings are. You see, we have a dual citizenship. We are citizens of this country. There may be some of you here who are citizens of another country, but you are citizens of a country but we are primarily and most importantly citizens of heaven. Not someday, but right now. Right now, as we meet in this auditorium, we are citizens of heaven. 
The Apostle Paul says in Philippians 3.20, our citizenship is in heaven from which we eagerly await a savior. And so, thinking of our American citizenship, we'll just use that as an example. No matter where we go in the world, we are American citizens. We may travel to Argentina, we may go to Thailand, we may go to Nigeria, we may go to Egypt, but no matter where we go, no matter what we do, we are always American citizens, even when we are in a foreign country. Oh, how much more that is true of our heavenly citizenship. No matter where we go, no matter what we do, we are always, always heavenly citizens. Think of it. Our true life, our eternal life, is in the realm of the supernatural, the heavenly places. Think of heaven. Our Father is there. Our Savior is there. All of your family and loved ones in Christ who have already died, they're there right now, and they're waiting for you. Our name is written in heaven, our eternal dwelling place in heaven. Paul says that someday we will sit on thrones. Those thrones are waiting for us in heaven. And the key phrase, excuse me, the key phrase for all of this is in Christ. If you are in Christ, if you know him as Lord and Savior, then you are blessed with every spiritual blessing in heavenly places because you are truly a citizen of heaven. Well, our second point is chosen and adopted. Here's why we praise him. So he kind of introduces it and closes it with praise. And here's why. Here's why. Here is why we are so blessed. He chose us in him before the foundation of the world. Even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. Verse 4. The us and the him in this verse are the same as they were in verse 3. When he says he has chose us, the us is us as believers, in him, in him is a reference to Jesus Christ. So it's the very same thought. He has chosen believers in Christ before the foundation of the world. Now the word chose here is extremely important and everything else that I am going to share with you this morning is going to be based upon the definition of this word chose. The word chose here is very strong. It means that God chose us for himself before the foundation of the world without any respect to any action or human behavior on our part. God chose us in him, in Christ, before the foundation of the world, apart from any human behavior or action on our part. He chose us by himself, and he chose us for himself before the foundation of the world. This is not the only place where this is taught. In Revelation chapter 13 and verse 8, in Revelation chapter 17 and verse 8, it says this, Our names were written in the Lamb's book of life 
before the foundation of the world. Wow. That's amazing. Now, I know what some of you are thinking at this point. You're thinking, Pastor Tim, are you saying that God chose us individually to be saved before the foundation of the world, before we were ever born? I'm not saying that. The Bible is. This is not from Pastor Tim. This is not my teaching. This isn't part of some system that I hold to. This is what the Bible says, that God chose you to salvation before you were ever born, before the creation of the world. Now, I'm not saying this to impress you. I just want you to know. that this is a sensitive issue for some people, for some Christians. And so, thankful for the technology of Bible software, I went to 14 different conservative Bible commentaries to look at verse 4. They all agreed. They were all in 100% agreement with each other that this word chose is very strong. It means that God chose this, he chose us in Christ, independent of any action on our part. He chose you to be saved before the foundation of the world. There are many verses in the Bible that teach what is known as divine election, and this is what this is. God elected us for himself before the foundation of the world. And there are many aspects to divine election. For example, in John 6:44, Jesus says, no one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him. Now, the context of John 6 is extremely important here. Jesus is talking about being the bread of life who came down from heaven. And some of the Jews begin to grumble. They say, how can he say he's the bread of life that came down from heaven? Isn't he Joseph's son? Isn't he the son of Joseph and Mary? We know his parents, and he says he comes down from heaven. And they began to grumble against him. And Jesus says this, do not grumble. No one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him. This is what he's saying. You're not coming to me because the Father is not drawing you. In Acts chapter 13, Paul and Barnabas go to Antioch in Pisidia, and they tell the Gentiles there that God has sent his son not just for the Jews, but also for the Gentiles. He says to them, Jesus has come to be a light to the Gentiles and to bring salvation to the ends of the earth. And you know what they do? They rejoice. And it says they glorify the word of the Lord. And then it says this, Acts 13, 48. As many as were appointed to eternal life believed. Who believed? As many as were appointed to eternal life 
eternal life. It's not on the screen, but in John 6:37, Jesus says, all that the Father gives me shall come to me. So, God chose you in Christ before the foundation of the world that you should be holy and blameless. He chose you for himself before you were ever born with the ultimate desire that you would be holy and blameless, or the ultimate goal, I should say. Holy and blameless has three aspects, always does. When we receive Christ as Savior, we become holy and blameless positionally because we are clothed in the very righteousness of Christ himself. There is a second aspect. We are trying to live out our holiness and blamelessness on a practical basis as Christians. Our practice doesn't always live up to our position. But there is a third aspect, and that is when we get to heaven, we will be both positionally and practically holy and blameless. And here is the thought that God chose you in Christ before the foundation of the world so that you would be holy and blameless for all eternity. And, then, and so he says, to the praise of his glorious grace, with which he has blessed us in the beloved, in Jesus Christ. The thought here is praise him, praise him, praise him for all of this. But I know what you're thinking. What about human responsibility? Doesn't the Bible say, Pastor Tim, that we have to make a decision? Doesn't the Bible say that we have to choose Christ? Doesn't the Bible say that if we reject Christ, we will be condemned for all of eternity? And the answer is yes. It says that, and it teaches that. Whosoever will may come. Whoever calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. As many as received him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. Yes, I believe that the Bible absolutely adamantly teaches that. So how do we reconcile divine election and human responsibility? And here's the answer. We don't. We don't. Because we can't in our finite minds. Divine election and human responsibility stand side by side in the Bible. They are both equally true and do not, do not ever deny either one of them. It is called a biblical tension. Let me define for you a biblical tension. A biblical tension is when there are two truths that are equally true but seem opposed to each other that cannot be reconciled in our finite human minds, but are completely reconciled in the infinite mind of God. Let me say that again. A biblical tension is when there are two truths, equally true, that seem to us to be opposed to each other and cannot be reconciled in our finite human minds, but are completely reconciled in the infinite mind of God. You have to grasp this. Because if you don't, you're going to struggle studying the Bible for the rest of your life. Because biblical tension is everywhere in the Old Testament and the New Testament. 
Let me give you some examples. In the book of Exodus, it says that God hardened Pharaoh's heart. It also says that Pharaoh was fully accountable and responsible for every human decision that he made. Both are equally true. The Bible says that God knows the beginning from the end. He is the architect of history. History is his story. He already knows how the end times are going to play out as prophesied in books such as Daniel, Ezekiel, and Revelation. He's got it all planned, and yet, and yet at the very same time, my prayers and your prayers make a difference. Our prayers change things. Both are equally true at the same time. Another example, the Bible, every book of the Bible was written by human authors, but what they wrote are the very words of God himself, so that we can say that the Bible is the inspired, infallible, inerrant word of God. Written by human authors, but it is the very words of God himself. A huge example. Huge example. Jesus is fully God and fully man at the same time. He is 100% God and he is 100% man equally at the same time. And you may say, how can that be? How can that be? I don't know, but they are both equally true. And if you deny one or the other, you will go into serious heresy and false teaching. In the New Testament, it is presented that the Christian life is a life of obedience. It is a life of commitment. It is a life of discipline. And yet at the same time, it says it's all of Christ. It's all because of Christ. And apart from Christ, you can do nothing. Both are equally true. Do not try to reconcile what you cannot reconcile because you will get yourselves into trouble. You will. When you start using phrases like, that doesn't make sense to me, or that doesn't seem fair to me, you are heading down a dangerous road in Bible interpretation. We must allow God to be God and to believe his truth. Folks, always remember this. Things are not true because you understand them. Things are not true because they make sense to you. Things are not true because they seem fair to you. Things are true because God says they are so. And that's how we study the word of God. There have been those who have tried to reconcile divine election and human responsibility. I want to read you two quotes that warn us against that. John MacArthur writes this, Many earnest, well-meaning Christians throughout the history of the church have floundered trying to reconcile them. Since the problem cannot be resolved by our finite minds, the result is always to compromise one truth in favor of the other or to weaken both by trying to take a position somewhere between them. We should leave the harmonizing of them to God. Amen. J.I. Packer, one of the greatest theologians of the past generation, in his wonderful little book, Evangelism and the Sovereignty of God, a book I highly recommend to you, writes this about those people who try to reconcile this. They are not content to let the two truths live side by side as they do in the scriptures, but jump to the conclusion that in order to uphold the biblical truth of human responsibility, they are bound to reject the equally biblical and equally true doctrine of divine sovereignty and to explain away the great number of texts that teach it. Now watch this last sentence. 
The desire to oversimplify the Bible by cutting out the mysteries is natural to our perverse minds, and it is not surprising that even godly men should fall victim to it. I can't tell you how many times I've read explanations of election and human responsibility that just make me cringe. I'm going to give you an example, a classic example. And I know when I give you this example, some of you, or I may step on some of your toes because you may have been taught this in other places. But here's how it goes. So there are some pastors and teachers who read verse 4, he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, and this is what they say. This means that God looked forward into the future and saw who was going to be saved. He saw who was going to choose him, therefore he chose them in him before the foundation of the world making God's choice totally dependent on what he would see or could see would be our future choice. It goes like this. God looked into the future and saw that Tim Knaus was going to receive Jesus Christ as his Savior. He saw that Mike Briggs was going to choose Jesus Christ as Savior. He saw that Dwayne Haviland was going to make a decision to receive Christ as Savior. Therefore, because he could see that, he chose them in him before the foundation of the world. That simply is not true. That may make sense to you. That may make you feel better. But it is not found in Scripture. There is nowhere in the Bible where that teaching is found. God chose you in him before the foundation of the world, completely independent of any human behavior or action. Now, when I preach on a passage like this, I know what some of you would like to do. You would like to come up to me and say, Pastor Tim, but what about this verse, and what about this verse, and what about this verse, and what about this verse? Don't need to do it, because I'm not preaching on those verses this morning. I'm preaching on this verse, and this verse says, he chose us in him before the foundation of the world. Folks, it means what it says and says what it means. I'll try to wrap this up in a few minutes, but let me move on here. Not only did God choose us, but he predestined us for adoption. In verse 5, very end of verse 4, it says, In love he predestined us for adoption to himself as sons through Jesus Christ according to the purpose of his will. When he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, he did so to make us his sons and his daughters and that's who we are as we meet together we are not just 
citizens. We are not just servants. We are not even just friends of God. We are sons and daughters. Adoption is a beautiful thing. Maybe there are some of you sitting here this morning and you were adopted into your family and you were given the family name and you were given all the benefits of being in your particular family and your mom and your dad loved you because you're their own, because you were adopted into their family. And let me tell you, divine adoption is not only that beautiful, it is even more beautiful. Because not only were we given the family name, Christian, in Christ, not only were we given all the blessings in heavenly places, but something happens in a divine adoption that can't happen in human adoption, and that is our God gave us his very life. The resurrected and living Christ came to live within us. His resurrection life is our life. As we looked at most of 2017, Christ in you, the hope of glory, in love, in his vast immeasurable, great love. God predestined us. He predestined us for adoption to himself as sons, as sons and daughters through Jesus Christ. And then it says, according to the purpose of his will. Do you know what that means? It means according to the purpose of his will. Again, it means exactly what it says. He chose to do so. In the counsel of the triune Godhead, he chose you in Christ before the foundation of the will of the world, and it was his will and his desire to make you his sons and to make you his daughters. And so we say again in verse 6 to the praise, to the praise of his glorious grace with which he has blessed us in the beloved. I have asked Pastor Mike to close us with a song that I think fits perfectly with this passage. It was the only song that just kept coming to my mind all week long as I studied this, and it is Behold Our God. Behold Our God. Let me ask you, who has held the oceans in his hands? Who has numbered every grain of sand? Kings and nations tremble at his voice. All creation rises to rejoice. Brother and sister in Christ, behold your God. Behold your God. This God, this God chose you in Christ before the foundation of the world. Don't run away from it. Don't try to explain it away. Embrace it. Love it. And praise him for it with every emotion that lies within you. Praise him for it. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, I thank you
and praise you that you have blessed us with every spiritual blessing in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. Oh, Lord, thank you. Thank you that you chose us in Christ before the foundation of the world. Thank you that in love you predestined us to be adopted as sons and daughters through Jesus Christ according to the purpose of your will. Oh, Lord, we praise you and we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.